Uh, Lord, as always, we pray you would teach, we would listen, and let your Holy Spirit guide and direct in all ways and all things. Help us to really just let everything go and focus on what you have to say here this morning in your name. Amen. All right, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do the first 15 verses here of Galatians chapter 5. Now, these are the chapters we've been looking forward to because the way this kind of flows is this. The first two chapters of the Galatians deals with Paul and his conversion and how he got saved. Chapters 3 and 4 deal with the theology of it. What was happening here at the church of Galatia was this. There was this group of people called the Judaizers. They were trying to sneak into the church and start preaching kind of a works-based salvation. The idea that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's great. Just take Jesus and add to it. Add the law to it. Those 613 rules and regulations, add that to it. Add this idea of circumcision to it. And what Paul is trying to say in chapters 3 and 4 is you don't have to do that. It's through Christ and Christ alone. And it's the same thing today. It's Christ and Christ alone. Then what happens here now in chapters 5 and 6, he ends with some great practical application of saying, now that we know this, Let's go out and live it, and let's go out and do that. So the first 15 verses is going to show us two main points. And if you're a note taker, you can write this down. The first one is verse 6, faith working through love. And then what you see also here is in verse 15, excuse me, verse 14, loving your neighbor as yourself. That idea of verse 13, love serving one another. So we have faith working through love in verse 6, and then in verse 13, love serving one another. That's what he's building up to. And then next week, we're going to talk about what does that practically look like to serve one another in love and to walk in faith and love. So with that being said, let's jump into this. Verse 1 of Galatians chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who has become circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. What a great start to this. Paul simply says, why would you go back? Why do you want to go back to these rules and requirements and regulations that Jesus has set you free from? Verse 2, it does nothing for you. Look at verse 2. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. What happens is this idea of, listen, if you're going to go add to what Jesus did on the cross, in this case right here, you have to be circumcised. Now, we don't struggle with that today. In the 20 years I've been doing ministry, I've never had anybody come up to me and say, do you think I need to do that to make sure I'm in? No, no one's ever asked. But we deal with other situations. We've had other people come up and ask, do I have to be baptized to be saved? What about confirmation? What about catechism? What about these things? Those things may have good in and of their own, but you have to remember that salvation is through Christ and Christ alone through what he did on the cross. There's a reason why when Jesus was done on the cross, he said, it is finished. It's done. It means nothing can be added to it. So therefore, salvation is done incomplete, and there's nothing we can do to add to it. So what Paul's saying here in verse 2, if you try to go add to it, you profit nothing. It adds nothing to it. Please remember that. There is no amount of works or activities that you can do to make God love you more than what he loves you right now. So don't add to it. Now the problem is that you see in verse 3, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Paul says this, listen, if you're going to say you're going to keep part of it, you've got to start keeping all of it. 
Keep your hand here in Galatians. Jump back just to chapter 3. Let's remind ourselves of what he said in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So he says, if you want to do one, you got to do everything. That's not about how many rules you've kept. It's about how many rules you've broken. you got to remember that. See, we have this mindset that if we do more good than bad, it's going to be okay. That's one of the mindsets here of the Muslim faith. I've been, you know, reading and studying a lot about that here as we're getting ready to go up to Dearborn. And they got this idea from the Quran that there's these scales. And as long as you've done more good than bad, you're okay. Now, obviously, Allah will determine whether you've done more good or bad. But that's all you've got to do. This is where Christianity is completely different. Christianity has said, I have a standard as well, too. And the standard is perfection. Now, think about that. And to make it clear, Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is imperfect. So when you come up and talk to the Lord and you say, Lord, what is your standard for salvation and entrance into heaven? It's a very simple answer. God requires perfection. So it doesn't matter how many nice ladies you've helped cross the street. It doesn't matter how many Bible passages you've read, how many times you've been in discipleship, how many people you witness to. It means nothing. Your salvation has to be perfect. Now, the point is we throw our hands up in the air and say, I can't do that. And God says, that's the point. That's why you have the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Because my perfection comes through Christ, not through me. But what Paul is saying here is, listen, if you want to jump into this trap of having to do stuff to make God favor you, to make God like you, you're going to create a lot of problems. In fact, you're going to create problems. Verse 4, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. You've become estranged from Christ. Interesting word there. You've become alienated from him. You've become severed from him. Some of your translation says Christ has no effect. The more works you do to earn salvation, to earn God's favor, it negates what Jesus did. Think about that. To the point of falling from grace, verse 4. Grace is a gift. That's what the word grace actually means. It's a gift that God has given us. Can you imagine, go back to that mindset of Christmas morning as a kid. So you have all your presents lined up in front of you. And now they come and they lay them in front of you. You don't sit there and say, what do I have to do to earn this? It's a gift. You take it, you open it, you're excited. This is what salvation is. It's a gift that has been given to you. And when we try to earn it, we try to work for it or add to it, according to what Paul is saying here in verse 4, you are separating yourself from Christ, you are severing that relationship, and you're actually falling from that idea of grace because you don't get the idea of gift anymore. Isn't that freeing? Isn't it freeing to realize we don't have to do it? It's all the Lord. I see this a lot, especially when I do marriage counseling. I, I, I see one spouse who has maybe kind of left the idea of marriage. The other spouse is working at it. And the spouse is trying to earn their spouse back. You can't earn them back. You can't work to gain. It has to be through the Lord. Or maybe it's earned favor from God. You know, i got a really tough week this week. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read more. I'm going to serve more. God, you owe me. No, it doesn't work that way. It has to be through Christ and Christ alone. And what a beautiful picture that is to have that freedom of that. Because what is our focus supposed to be? Verse 5, we eagerly wait for the righteousness by faith. We eagerly wait for that. This, this is our goal. This is our focus. This is what drives us. Is this idea of righteousness and faith through Christ. And that's our focus. Not righteousness through me. Not righteousness through my works. 
but the righteousness of what Jesus Christ has done. And we just stop and we think, Lord, that's what I wait for. Your return, your focus, your everything. Now, we have to stop here because we've got to ask some pretty serious, tough questions. First one, verse 5. Is that your drive in life? Is that, I mean, seriously, is that what's really driving you? Is that you're eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness by faith? You're stopping and saying, Lord, this is my focus. You are returning. I am going to die. I'm going to meet you face to face. My kids are going to meet you face to face. My spouse is going to meet you face to face. Am am I eagerly waiting for that and focusing on that to drive that? Or is it the cares of the world? Man, have you seen? I've seen it so often here. People that just at one time were just so on fire and just so focused. You talk to them and say, this is who I'm sharing with. This is what the Lord's doing in my life. And this is what I'm reading. And then all of a sudden you just see over weeks, months, years, that fire for the Lord just kind of slowly starts to disappear. There's no longer an eagerly waiting for the righteousness by faith. And not even only that, what else are we supposed to do? Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But faith working through love. See, what we're supposed to do is I eagerly wait for righteousness. Remember, righteousness is just a fancy word that means to be made right. So I'm made right by Christ. And faith, I believe this. Then verse 6, I take that idea and I now go do something with it. Faith working through love. That's our first point. Is that we're supposed to take this faith and that drives what we do. We're supposed to go do something. Because the world is dying around us. And they're confused. They don't get it. They don't understand works. They don't understand salvation. They don't understand any of it. This last week, we took a couple of days and went and did some stuff as a family. And we decided one of those days that we were just going to go to the park and just do, do some outreach type stuff. See where the Lord goes with it. Just start some conversations. So Dawn had the great idea. She took this cooler along with her. And she was going to bring a bunch of popsicles. We'll, we'll lure the kids in with popsicles. So, and that's what we did. So, I, we would talk to the adults. The boys would talk to the kids. Invite them over, popsicles. Hey, parents, do you care if your kids have popsicles? And we all sit and just have conversations and just see where the Lord kind of goes with it. This was the mindset. So, I was talking to this one lady, and her name is Haley. And I'd appreciate if you keep in prayer for this woman named Haley. And just talking, letting the Lord kind of lead. And you're waiting for the God to open that door. You know, I, you throw little things out. You know, God has blessed us. It's a great day. You know, talking to parents, you have how many kids you have. Oh, God's blessed us with five boys. And you just kind of see where the Lord goes with it. So, she made mention that she has a degree for uh, child care. And so, what's happening, she was trying to find a job dealing with child care. And she applied at a church. But she had to be a member of that church to get the job. And so she didn't get the job since she wasn't a member of that church. I thought, okay, you just mentioned church. So you just opened up a door here. So we're just talking. And I said, oh, you know, where did you go to church? I don't go to church. I don't go anywhere, etc. She was raised Methodist, went to church with her grandma. And I said, oh, okay, so you were raised Methodist. I said, do you consider yourself a Christian? And she goes, she stopped for a minute. She thought. She said, "Um, no, because she goes, I believe all religions are equal. And so, therefore, if I would call myself a Christian, that would mean I'm elevating one religion over the other. And I stopped and I said, so you think all religions are equal? I said, yeah. She goes, yeah. I said, do you realize the problem with that? If every religion is equal and every religion is speaking truth, when they contradict each other, there has to be an issue. And I said, that's what I love, I said, about Christianity, is the truth of what Christianity is. 
Now, that just killed the conversation right there. You know, that's the beauty of kids. Well, one of her kids did something, and so she's moving on. But the point is, I look at this passage, and I look at this idea of works. I look at this idea of, of falling from grace. I see this idea of eagerly waiting. And I see the world that says, no, that's not how it is. It's, we're all shooting for the same goal. We're just taking different paths to get there. So find the Muslims believe in scales of good and bad. You know, there's other groups that don't believe in the existence of hell. And there's other people who well, wait a second here. We can't all be shooting for the same goal. And this is where it comes down to the truth of Christianity. And I just want to constantly remind you of this. When you, when you call yourself a Christian, that means you're a follower of Christ. And when you're a follower of Christ, you're following the teachings of Jesus. And what that means is you believe what Jesus said. Jesus said, the whole book is written about me. And you've heard me say this so many times. God's word is truth, the Holy Spirit is truth, and Jesus is truth. That's what we take a stand for. And I firmly do believe this. As we are living in these last days, and I believe it is, you're going to remember that there's going to be a great falling away. That's what Timothy said. And you're going to start to see people just drift and become cold in their faith. There's going to be a remnant, but that remnant's going to be passionate about the Lord. That remnant's going to be on fire for him. And what I see here in verses 5 and 6, what are we? Are we the group that's falling away? Or are we going to be the group in verses 5 and 6 that say, No, I eagerly wait through the Spirit for the righteousness that comes through Christ. In verse 6, I'm going to go out there and faith working through love. That's what I want to see. So what's faith working through love? Faith is unseen. You don't see it. Hebrews 11 tries to explain faith. Faith is certain of what we hope for. And of what we do not see. It's unseen. It makes no sense. It just works. So that faith drives us. Working. Action. And there to love. Which is our motive. I don't get faith sometimes. When I say I don't get it. I fully don't understand it. It's like okay Lord. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you're going to move and lead. In ways that I don't see. We were down in Columbus yesterday for my niece's wedding. And I was standing at the park, and, and, the, and the boys were all playing, and everybody was being good, and there was some free time. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm here. Might as well do something. Who, Lord? Who, is there somebody we can go talk to? And there was a guy sitting on a bench by himself, and he had a dog. And I thought, that, that's a bad choice, buddy, because i got so many ends right there. I'm going to go sit, sit, and we start talking about his dog, and next thing you know, you're talking 15, 20 minutes uh, about the Lord. The Lord thought that's where I was supposed to go. Faith, the unseen engine, it just drives. Problem is, when we don't trust it, we don't understand it, we have a tendency to kind of mess up faith. Faith sometimes is just, Lord, I'm going to walk out in faith, and I don't fully see the big picture, I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I trust this is what's right. Because when you try to do it on your own, you're going to create issues. I'm awful with vehicles. Absolutely awful with vehicles. I remember growing up as a kid, one time dad asked me to add oil to the car, and I put it in the power steering fluid. I remember that. I never told him. I never told him. And mom and dad are up in Michigan, so they don't even going to hear this right now. So, But I put it in the power steering fluid. I'm awful with cars. We, we do the car care ministry out here at church, and we've been probably doing that for 15 plus years. Just a great way to represent the love of Jesus. And I remember the first car care ministry that we did, it was just a group of us back on the back church parking lot. And, and I actually got to do stuff. They let me do stuff. And then the next year, they said, James, would you just drive the cars up on the ramps? I, okay, I can drive the cars. I'm not making this up. The third year, James, would you be willing to check the tire pressures? Okay. And I'm starting to realize, wait a second. You don't want me touching the cars. Fourth year, you know what would be great, James? We just really need someone to talk to the people. 
while they drop their car off. I did that for a couple years. I think about the sixth year I didn't come, and no one has said anything in ten years. It's like, James, why aren't you coming? I'm not good with cars. I don't get the engine part of it. I don't understand it. But you know what? I don't understand everything about Christianity when it comes to walking in faith, but we do it. We trust it. So that unseen engine, we then go do it. We walk in faith. And the next thing is it's an action. Faith working. Working through what? Love. It has to be through love. Remember everything the Bible says about love. Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love. God himself described himself in 1 John as God is love. That's what he wants to describe himself as. Now the problem with love is this. Ephesians 4 talks about you're supposed to speak the truth with love. Two elements there, truth and love. Problem is I know certain people that only speak truth. There is no love. And they come across as legalistic. They come across as hard. And it's difficult. I know people that have love, but they don't speak truth. They don't want to say anybody's wrong. They don't want to take a side on any issue. They just want to love everybody. It doesn't work. You have to have both. You have to speak truth, and you have to do it in love. Now, let's stop for a second, and let's just get real with ourselves here. Most everybody doesn't have a problem with verses 1 through 4. I get it. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. There's nothing I can do about that to add to it. It's through Him and Him alone. That's the beauty of grace. Verse 5, we start to struggle a little bit. Wait a second. I'm supposed to eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith? That's supposed to be my driving focus? Yeah. And then in verse 6, I'm actually supposed to go do something about this? Faith working through love? See, there's going to be churches all over the world where people show up on Sundays. They show up why? I don't know. Maybe they're trying to earn favor with God. Maybe this is just what they do. They like the feel of it. Maybe they're trying to do some type of work. God, look, I, I obeyed. But really what we're supposed to be doing in verse 5 is eagerly waiting for him through faith. And verse 6, then going and doing something about it. That's what the rest of Galatians 5 is. And I hope that's what you guys want. My focus is the Lord, and now I'm going to go do something about it. But the problem, though, is verse 7. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you a little leaven. Leavens the whole lump. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? That word hindered is only used in this spot in the Greek in the New Testament. And it carries this idea of a ship going out against the waves. And the waves beating the ship back. It carries the idea of a road that has a roadblock. That you're traveling this road and all of a sudden the road is blocked. This is exactly what our walk with the Lord is like. You decide you want to go deeper. You decide you want to do faith working through love. And what happens? The waves beat back. The road gets blocked. All of a sudden, it's really difficult to get up in the morning. All of a sudden, life is just too busy to serve. And there's all these roadblocks and waves. Paul says, wait a second, what happened here? You ran well. What what stopped you? Church of Galatia, you started out good. What's hindering you right now? Verse 8, this doesn't come from God. This persuasion is not from Him. Let's talk about this idea of running. Can you go with me to 1 Corinthians 9? Just jump back a couple books to your left. 1 Corinthians 9. Paul, through the Spirit, loves this analogy of running. He uses it all the time. In fact, in the last book that Paul wrote, 2 Timothy, he finished his life by saying, I fought the good fight, I finished the race. This idea of this Christian walk that we do is a race. We're in this running for the Lord. So, you ran the race well, who has hindered you? Think about your walk with the Lord. You've run well, but how are you doing right now? 
Are the waves beating you back? Are there roadblocks in your life? Are you eagerly waiting for Jesus? Are you focused on that? Are you working faith through love? Or has your faith become a crawl? It's become stale. What keeps us from running well? Well, 1 Corinthians 9 has a couple ideas. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, this is not a competition verse. This is not that I need to run better than you. No, it's a focus. That there is a finish line. And that finish line is what I'm running for. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. I am running towards the finish line of salvation in Jesus Christ and entrance into heaven. And, and that's my focus in life. And as I'm doing that then, I'm doing all these other passages. Faith working through love, serving one another. Remember, you were created by God to glorify Him. And according to John 15, the way we glorify God is by producing fruit, going out there and being a light and a witness. So, are you running for the finish line? I see some Christians start out, and they're really great. They're focused on that finish line. Then a chunk of the way through the race, man, there's some really cool stuff over to the side. They get distracted. And as they get distracted, they no longer run. They stop. They focus on building their little kingdom on this earth. I see that a lot with people, too, as we get older. As we get older and the finish line gets closer, we decide to spend all of our time and energy trying to enjoy this planet. Rather than realizing there's a finish line of eternity, we want to slow the race down as long as we can so I can go see things and go experience things and go do stuff. No, I want to run the race. I want to finish strong. There's a, uh, a pastor, I was talking to at a pastor's conference, and he, quote-unquote, retired from being a pastor. But, you know, he always says no one ever retires from ministry. So he took over the group at his church for the, uh, basically, uh, retirement age people. And he named the group Maranatha. And then what he did is the whole focus is finish well. Finish well. It's the idea of we're not going to stop and just enjoy life. No, we're finishing the race God gave us. What does that look like? Verse 25, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. See right there, perishable versus imperishable. Something on this earth versus something for all of eternity. What are you running for? What are you running for? Some people run for the promotion at work. Some people run for the idea of respect from people. Some people run to have the best house, the best yard, the best family, the most attention, the best car. And those are all perishable crowns. They don't last. What we're supposed to run for is the imperishable crowns. Christ, that is your focus. What happens when you don't have that focus of Christ? Verse 26, therefore I run this not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who beats the air. Uncertainty and beating the air. Have you ever seen somebody run with uncertainty? Oh, they're all over the place. Well, this is what I'm going to do now. And this is going to bring me joy in life. This job, this position, this family, this spouse, this whatever. Well, that didn't work out the way I want, so I'm going to do this now. And it's uncertainty. And they're trying to find something in this world to give them joy and peace and happiness. And they're running with uncertainty. They don't know the race. They don't know anything about it. I used to run cross country when I was back in high school. And I can remember before some of the races, especially the races that we ran around reservoirs and through forests and stuff, the courses could get a little strange. And so they would huddle us all up together and they would say, okay, this is how the course goes. You're going to go around this pond and this and this and that. I never paid attention. I was never near the front. I had so many people in front of me. I never needed to worry about the course because I was so far behind. I could just follow the person in front of me. And I think what happens sometimes in life is there's people that don't worry about the course. They're just going to follow. Follow what? 
the world. They'd be happier if they had that job. They'd be happier if they had that girl. They'd be happier if they had that house. They'd be happier if they had this. Happier with more respect. No, it's uncertainty. And that's what you do. You waste all your time and energy in uncertainty. What about the next one? Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. We did this devotion one time with the boys. We talked about the idea of beating the air and how it wears you out. And the boys didn't believe me. I said, get up. I said, get up. Make sure there's plenty of space. Start punching the air. Punch as hard as you possibly can. Now, don't do it right now. But I encourage you today, go home when no one is around. Because you do not want to do it in front of people. Beat the air as hard as you can. You'll do two things. Number one, you will wear yourself out very quickly. Number two, you will hurt yourself. So disclaimer, let the Lord lead. But the point is... When you beat the air, you're putting time, energy, and effort into something that does not matter in any way whatsoever. It does no good. How many people do we know run a race with uncertainty and they're beating the air? How many people do we know that claim to be Christians that are running with uncertainty? There's no vision for their life. There's no plan of what the Lord's given them. They think they're going to find fulfillment in something down here. Now, they don't say it that way, but that's what we see. Or what about the next one? Beating the air. They're throwing all their time and energy into this, and all their time and energy into that, and it's all pointless and fruitless. So what are we supposed to do as Christians? Verse 27, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others I myself should become disqualified. This is one of those verses that do not bring a lot of people into the faith. Verse 27, Disciplining your body. This is an ongoing theme of being a believer. I want to focus on you, Lord. I want to run the race you gave me. I want to keep my eyes on you. But my sin nature wants to go over there. I want to get off the course and go enjoy life, supposedly. Paul says, if you really want to run the race well, there is a part of self-discipline where you stop and you realize, I need to say no to certain things. And I need to say yes to certain things. So, go to Hebrews now with me. Hebrews chapter 12. One more passage about running races. But as we're going to Hebrews 12... We're asking ourselves this. Am I running the race well? Am I running with an uncertainty? Am I all over the place? Am I running with an uncertainty of this is what's going to fulfill me? This is what I want to do with my life? No, it's the Lord's life. Am I beating the air? Am I wasting my time and energy on things that don't matter? Have I disciplined my body to bring it into subjection? What about Hebrews 12? Another passage about running the race. Verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Running the race that God set before you, and getting rid of the weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Think about that for a second. Think about that. What weight and sin has ensnared you, entangled you, that keeps you from running the race that God has set before you? I can remember years ago, I was getting into uh, running, getting ready to do some 5Ks. And um, there was a guy that recommended, hey, when you go out and run, they have these weighted vests that you can wear while you run. And they come in different weights. And so you kind of build yourself up. And I'm thinking, I already have a built-in weighted vest. You know, that's, I already have one of those. Why would I want to go add more weight to my weighted vest? How many of us are out there trying to run the Christian walk with weights on and sins on and baggage on and burdens on? We have unforgiveness. We have bitterness. We're always angry. We're always upset. Listen, if you spend all your time and energy focusing on what everybody's ever done wrong to you, you're never going to be able to focus on Christ. You have to reach a point where you only have so much time and energy in the day. 
Why are we constantly worked up on things that don't matter? Just keep your eyes on Christ. Let go of the weight, the sin that so easily ensnares you. And run the race, verse 1, that is set before you. I don't get to determine the course of my race. The Lord does. I think what happens, a lot of times I see believers, that they're trying to determine the course of their race. And it just blows my mind when I talk to Christians that make huge life plans without even stopping to say, Lord, is this your will for my life? The Bible says we're vapors. Who are we to plan anything? What are we supposed to do? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes on Christ. Jump back now with me to Galatians chapter 5, please. What keeps us from running the race? Well, uncertainty, beating the air, wasting time and energy. We're supposed to discipline our body. Maybe we have sin that so easily ensnares us, entangles us, the weights of the past. We're supposed to keep our focus on Christ. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Leaven. Leaven is a picture of sin. Anytime you see leaven in the Bible, it's a picture of sin. Leaven is a baking agent that you know makes bread rise. It's that idea that you put a little bit of leaven in it, it expands things. Same thing with sin. A little bit of sin, and it expands everything. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 talked about how we're supposed to purge ourselves of leaven. In Exodus chapter 12, when they talk about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you're supposed to get all the leaven out of the house. It's a picture of you purging yourself of any sin in your life and purging yourself of any sin in your household to get rid of it, to focus solely on the Lord. The Jews still keep this custom today. When they get ready for the Feast of Unleavened Bread in Jewish traditional houses, the woman has to go through and clean the entire house. Clean the entire house. And then when we say clean, this is a very detailed cleaning. They start weeks in advance, and they get rid of anything it could have any type of leaven in it. It's a big deal. And if you think that's hard for the woman, the man has the harder job. He has to come in and inspect the house. So that's what he does. It's a joke. So he has to come in and inspect the house. So, and this is, I'm not making this up. It led to so many issues that the way they do it now in traditional houses is the woman will leave a small pile of leaven in a spot where the man can find it. Just so when he inspects, he can find it and say, let's clean it up together. But it becomes such a, a trial and such a struggle to get rid of all the leaven. I mean, think about this. If you go home and look at your typical house, how many items you have in it that have leaven in it, any type of your baking goods, etc., what have you. So what God is saying in Exodus 12, what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, get rid of it. Get rid of that sin that expands into your life. And listen, verse 9, it's just a little leaven. It's a little sin. We don't fall apart overnight. We don't jump into these vats of sin overnight. It's just little compromises here and there. We allow little things into our life that we say, now listen, years ago, I never would have done that, but now it's okay. Those shows I watch, listen, there's a lot of other worse shows I can watch. Those words I say, listen, I know people that say worse than me. My lack of a walk with the Lord, no, come on, I know people that claim to be Christians. That's a lot worse than I am. It's not comparative Christianity. If you have a little leaven in your life, the Lord is saying that is going to eat you up. It's going to destroy you. So we need to get rid of it. So Paul comes back and says in verse 10, though, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. I, I, I have confidence that you're going to get this and see this, church of Galatia. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. But whoever is bringing this false teaching in, let them be judged. Listen, if you're ever giving out godly counsel to people, stick to the Bible. The Lord makes it very clear. When we go and try to give advice and counsel to people, if it's not of God's word, and we're leading down, down a path that is not good, there's a judgment that comes for that. 
Verse 11, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. Paul says, I can quit this really easy. I can just start preaching circumcision, then everybody would quit persecuting me. But since I'm being persecuted, it means I'm teaching what's right. Verse 12, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Paul says, listen, if they're so focused on circumcision, let them go mutilate themselves then. You guys, stay out of it. For you, brethren, verse 13, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There's our next key point. Through love serve one another. Remember what we said back in verse 6. Faith working through love. So I have faith to go out there and do works for God in love. Now in verse 13, in love I'm here to serve people. It's not about me checking off my to-do list in life. It's not about me making myself happier, accomplishing what I want. It's about serving God and serving others. Verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. And that's what takes us into next week. The practical application of what does it mean to truly love one another, to serve one another, to not bite and devour. But what I want to finish with is this. Can you go with me to Matthew 22, please? Matthew 22. Think about that verse 14 in Galatians that we just read as you're going to Matthew 22. For all the law... It's fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. That fulfills it. What does Jesus say about this in Matthew chapter 22? Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What a, what a question. Remember, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, 613 rules and regulations. Which one's the most important? That's a setup question. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I love it when God takes something complex and simplifies it. I love that. I read Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. That is complex to me. There's a lot of rules and regulations that are difficult to grasp and understand. Lord, what does it really mean to be a Christian? Hey, I'll sum it up for you in one verse. Verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What does it mean to love the Lord with all your heart? Your heart, that's your emotions. You love the Lord with who you are. I want to please him. I want to serve him. I want to love him. I love him with all my soul. I'm an eternal being. So I keep my mind focused on eternity, not the imperishable crowns of this world. Don't get caught up in that. And lastly, with all my mind. I think about him. That's my focus. Lord, how can I represent you? Every contact I have is a chance for ministry. Every interaction is a chance to represent you. So with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, that's the greatest thing. Then look at the next one, verse 39. And the second was like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these, the two commandments, saying all the law and the prophets. So Jesus, what he just did for you. If you've ever struggled with Old Testament law, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, Jesus just summed it up for you in two points. Love God with everything you got. With your heart, your mind, your soul. And then go out and love other people. That's what we're supposed to do. I had a pastor friend who was very straightforward. Loved him dearly. Used to be a Marine, been in the ministry for a long time. He was a mentor of mine, and I would call him up regularly and say, What do you think? 
called him up one time and I said, here's a situation. I didn't even get into the situation. I said, it's kind of complicated. He interrupted me and goes, well, uncomplicated. Never forgot that. Uncomplicated. He didn't need to know the details. He didn't need to know it. Uncomplicated. Make it simple. I look at that. How often do we do that? We have an issue that's facing us. Well, I should probably talk to 50 people about it, and I should really do this, and I should analyze it from every angle. I should stress out, worry, get worked up, etc. Or I should really just stop and say, Lord, it's yours. I'm going to uncomplicate it. And I'm going to love you with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and I'm going to go out and love my neighbor as myself. That's what we're supposed to do. And how does that look? What does that look like? Next week, starting in verse 16, we're going to find out what that actually looks like. I wish we had time where we could cover the whole thing together, but time does not permit us to do that. So we're going to have to stop here. But as we stop here, I really want you to stop and think about some of these things. And you've got a week to pray about this. Okay, Lord, am I eagerly waiting for you? Am I in faith working through love towards others? Am I running the race well? Do I have weight and sin that ensnares me? Must my focus on Christ? Am I running with uncertainty? Am I running as fighting the air? Or Lord, am I looking unto you? Am I out there love through love serving one another? Am I loving you with all my heart, mind, and soul? And am I loving my neighbor as I'm supposed to? That's your prayer focus for this week. And the next week when we get together, starting in verse 16, we get a chance to see what does it look like? What does it look like? Worship team will come forward here for the final song. Just some quick reminders. Next Sunday, 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the evening, a time of prayer out here at church. We're just going to get together and give the Lord over, excuse me, give VBS over to the Lord, uh, Dearborn, back to school giveaway, prayer chain, all the upcoming uh, ministry opportunities. So next Sunday, 7 o'clock. Also, this coming Wednesday is Fellowship Meal. Hope you can make it out for that. Be blessed by that as well. We're going to give it over here to uh, Jim and Miranda for the final song and let you go with the word of prayer.